the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Nobody, no ship owner, no insurer, no financier, no politician is going to argue that safety should not be a top priority for shipping. Unsafe shipping is not the clarion call of the environmental pirates gleefully operating leaky ships with impunity, risking lives of crew for the hell of it. No, unfortunately, safety is the problem that happens when nobody is paying attention. Which is why it is perhaps a little bit concerning, for me at least, that safety has until relatively recently not figured as a particularly high-profile part of the decarbonisation discussions that we're having as a sector. It's mentioned, of course it is, but we are collectively willing to enter into really detailed debates and consider highly technical studies examining the energy density of every shade of zero-carbon fuel alternatives out there. And yet, the safety risks are too often mentioned as an engineering afterthought. And I'm not just talking about the toxicity of ammonia or the flammability of hydrogen. We know about that. I'm talking about the fact that we as an industry are effectively planning a project that sees the entire infrastructure, fuel type and systems in place that we've established hard-won standards and protocols around over many decades, effectively being reinvented within the space of a few years. Moving to a multi-fuel, and crucially multi-fuel infrastructures, plural, is going to require a wholesale reappraisal of risk and safety standards across multiple industries, not just shipping. That's before we even start thinking about the training implications at sea and on land. And I question whether that has been foremost in our minds during the unending discussions about the politics, the pricing, and the availability of a zero-carbon future. Two people I know that have been thinking about this at the top of their agenda are Nick Brown, the Chief Executive of Lloyd's Register, and Dr Ruth Bumfrey, the Chief Executive of Lloyd's Register's Foundation. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the LR Foundation, I implore you to check out their work, which encompasses some of the biggest global safety challenges, not just in shipping. They are looking at building knowledge and capability to make the world a safer place, which is why I brought both Ruth and Nick into the same conversation to get some perspective on this issue. For me, obviously, safety has to be critical, and I'm pleased that many in the industry are um, in 100% agreement with that statement. As you quite rightly say, not only is this possibly the largest challenge the industry has faced faced in living memory, but it's also one of the most urgent. And so we have to be absolutely certain that as we attempt to move with pace, not only are we maintaining the industry's safety record, but hopefully we take full opportunity to look at ways to increase and improve the industry's safety record. What makes that, of course, really challenging is the complexity of the transition. We are clearly moving away from what is a relatively stable fuel and a relatively safe fuel, and actually for the vast majority of the industry, a single fuel to a multi-fuel future. Um, And whilst traditionally class societies like Lloyd Register have focused on the hardware, the tanks where the fuel will be stored, the engines in which the they will be burnt and or the fuel cells that will consume the fuel. Um, we have to look at the entire shipshore interface, how these fuels will reach port, how they will be bunkered, the skills on board, the skills ashore, the regulations 
import and the international regulations that govern uh, shipping. So it's a hugely complex um, landscape in which to consider uh, consider the whole safety argument. I think, and that's why you know I, I think collaboration and multi-stakeholder projects, whether they are specific to a green corridor, for example, or a green marine fueling hub, or something like the Castor Initiative, um, where you have a class society, a ship owner, a shipbuilder, an engine maker, a flag, a chemical company who might be um, one of the world's experts in handling ammonia or hydrogen, for example, um, and a bunkering hub are really important to try and understand that, first of all, we have understood all of the risks that will exist as a result of this transition. And then we bring the expertise into the room to try and design or train uh, systems into the industry uh, to mitigate and manage those risks. So I, I and I think where this where this has to be very closely managed is to ensure that um, the environmental agenda doesn't take safety for granted. That's really critical that the uh, the STCW standards, the uh, discussions going on at ME, M, MSC are very closely aligned with the discussions that are going on at MEPC and one doesn't get out of sync with another. We will come back to some of that, but I want to bring Ruth into this because Lloyd's Register Foundation has a, a wider view on this this topic. Uh, engineering a safer world is, is the strapline, I guess, that, that you live by. We have a habit, I think, in the shipping industry of looking at these issues very much from a shipping perspective as a shipping problem. And as Nick's already laid out, there are problems here that are well beyond shipping, and we need a much wider perspective on this if we are going to have any chance of, of completing some of these projects safely within the timeframes that we are setting ourselves. What's the perspective from your side? Are you, are you, do you see this in the same way? Do you see this as something that is going to require non-shipping experts to come in and help shipping deal with some of these problems? Uh, uh, absolutely. You know, if, if we sort of take a step away from the shipping industry, this is a global transition. It's a, it's a global transition in our infrastructures of all types, and it's a global social transition about our relationship with energy and where we get it from and how we how we use it in our relationship with carbon. Uh, that's a, 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 um, a technical problem. It's an investment problem. It's a, a social problem. And, and I say problem, it's also an opportunity. So, um, say, and then the other thing is that safety is also a fundamental, uh, fundamental to individuals. If you don't feel safe, you know, if, if, you're, if you don't trust things, then, th then you won't use them, you won't go ahead, you won't invest in them, you won't endorse them. So, um, whether foundation, you know, we, we do take that step away and look at the bigger system. We do things like the World Risk Poll, where we've gone out to 120 different countries around the world asking individuals, how do you feel about your infrastructure? Do you feel safe? You know, are you, um, do you feel safe online? Do you, do you feel safe, you know, what's the biggest sources of harm to your lives? Um, and that's all really good information because you get to, you start to get an understanding of, right, if you want to bring a new port into Pakistan, actually, 
that the people of Pakistan are not resilient. They're not resilient. And and shipping as an industry can only be as as resilient and as safe as the weakest part. You know, if you have mm. an accident in one part of the world, if, if there's some, you know, big explosion or some loss of trust, then the whole sort of stack of cards comes falling down as a domino effect. So um, that bigger picture is really important to understand and nurture. And in amongst that bigger picture and, and, and partly... Um, you know, building on what Nick is saying, you know, there, there are sort of technical standards, there are, there are standards that need to happen. But um, on the other side of that are the people in government and in regu- our regulators and the people in government who are also um, have a responsibility to make things safe, right? So if we don't bring them on the journey with us as well, if we don't show them and help put into their own hands the ability to judge safety, then then we'll also fail. It's, it's no good us sort of powering ahead as an industry or as, as technologists or as infrastructure owners without having that broader conversation with society, with um, the governments which that society elects and with the regulators which are accountable as well to that society. So it's a much bigger picture thing. Um, what I would say, and, and I love this about our mission, is safety is an accelerator. So if you can get the safety nailed down if you can say this is a safe you know we have confidence in this technology we have confidence in this transition you can get there a lot quicker and that is what I think the world needs right now we need to get there a lot quicker on our zero carbon agenda it's interesting because class historically has been very good at setting standards at finding engineering solutions to problems and rolling them out in a way that the industry can use but what you're talking about there is about politics it's about training it's about education as well as the technology and everything else that goes with it i mean coming back to you nick how well understood do you think the magnitude of these issues are within shipping are you still having those engineering conversations or is there now a greater acceptance within the conversations that you're having at a corporate level that this is something that we need to be injecting into these wider conversations of collaboration so I, I think the scale and the magnitude of change, the magnitude of investment, the magnitude of collaboration and the sheer pace at which we move is only just beginning to be understood. Messages are you know, being transmitted around the trillion dollar tag that could be associated with the decarbonisation of maritime. But as we've already talked about, that can only happen if multiple industries are decarbonizing at the same time. We're unlikely to be the only, Maritime's unlikely to be the only, it is, definitely isn't going to be the only um, industry demanding e-fuels, synthetic fuels, biofuels, uh, etc. And of course, Maritime has a huge role to play in distributing new forms of energy around the world from where it's produced to where it's going to be consumed and, and needed to, to, to support uh, societies. So I think maritime has a dual role, ports have a dual role, not only to decarbonize our own industry, but to support many other sectors um, in in getting access uh, to new sources of, of, of energy and heating. And I think uh, that's probably uh, a message that is is commencing within maritime in terms of being heard uh but i um 
I still think that we have a significant way to go to try and join industries together, join governments together, and to try and ensure that our industry is not um, uh, moving at a different pace or in a different direction to other industries that are all trying to achieve the same thing. And that's where, you know, a lot of discussions, for example, uh, need to take place at COP and then ensure that those, you know, what's discussed at COP feeds back into the industry and the regulators of the different sectors. Mm. I mean, Ruth, th- this this idea of building coalitions and, and political structures that allow this change to happen, that's very much been a focus for, for the foundation. How practically do we need to start thinking about this as an industry and what is it that the industry needs to do differently to where we are right now, do you think? Well, I think the, the industry is on a good track, actually. Um, when I've been listening to, for example, the high-level climate champion, he has said to me, I wish all the other sectors were in the place where maritime is, where shipping is, because the discussion is happening with shipping. And and the fact is, it has to happen within shipping because, because um, it's inherently a collaborative activity taking taking goods on ships from one country to another is inherently a collaborative activity and it is the backbone of global trade and it is the backbone of our infrastructure it's a backbone of our critical services our food our energy um, it, it's it's um fundamental to the, the well-being of the planet so um i think that maritime is seen as actually a front runner in this um and actually a sent a sentinel industry and that's what makes me proud about the work that we do in the in the in noise register is that um i think we're quite modest as an industry you know we do we do sort of look at the technical things and what we can contribute but we're going to be leading this we're going to be leading this on behalf of lots of different industries and not only that because of the nature of our work we're going to be leading the growth of business in part in in the global south so the global south needs to make this transition and it's maritime which is going to be the sort of the gatekeeper to that growth um, and that's a, a very exciting thing for us to do and if i guess i guess if you ask me what the industry can do more well, i do think we need big investments in africa in asia uh, in infrastructure in the skills that we're going to need in order to keep global trade going one in four people will be living in africa um, in my lifetime and uh, and Africa is very poorly served um, in terms of its leadership, its maritime leadership and its maritime uh, capacity. So that's, for example, an area we're going to have to grow out um, in the near future. In terms of that global perspective, I think we are perhaps sometimes guilty sitting here as we are in London, viewing this as something that is led by Western governments. Of course, it's not. It is something that needs to be handled internationally. Um, and there are some complex politics and economics involved in this transition. We've made reference to the fact that this needs to be a fair and equitable transition. But explain to us why that's important in this safety context, in this in this maritime context and, and what LR and the foundation are doing about that. Well, I think first and foremost, it's important because this is a global climate emergency. There isn't one city, one country, or even one region that is going to win if the rest of the world doesn't make the the transition successfully and at, at a similar pace. So we either all win or we all lose as a planet. That said, of course, shipping is one of the 
few industries that is truly global. We truly go everywhere uh, that there is uh, sea and ocean and um, many of the world's biggest shipping routes are passing by um, LDCs, less developed uh, countries and small island developing uh, states. So we have the advantage to support uh, governments in those locations, whether that's uh, North Africa, places like Egypt, alongside uh, you know one of the world's busiest, if not the busiest, shipping lane through the through the Suez Canal, Malaysia, Chile, Mexico, etc., where they are naturally blessed with the ability to um, invest significantly in renewables in order to to rap rapidly scale the production of of green fuels. So I could see there being huge opportunities uh, for governments to um, support their economy, support their population, support their uh, GDP in taking advantage of this energy transition investing in new technology and supporting the industry uh, supporting maritime as a result um, we also of course today rely dramatically on seafarers uh, from less developed countries and most of the seafarer training centers are in less developed countries so there will be a significant need for investment in skills training uh, and talent and of course many of the world's leading flags are uh, represented by governments of uh, SIDS and, and LDCs. So I think they are truly critical and I'm quite pleased that many of the proposals that have gone into IMO uh, in recent uh, MEPC sessions have been led by um, governments now proactively proposing and discussing at a national level but also a multinational level as to how do we make, make the transition um, as quickly as possible. Ruth, anything I can get you to add there on, on the fair and equitable transition? I, I think Nick has said um, many things, you know, which are very important about the opportunity um, for the developing world, for the, for the global south to um, build out their economies based on this new energy. Uh, the, the new kinds of energy and the kind of skills and the kind of services that will come off the back of um, the, the energy transition. What, I, what I'd like to add in is that many countries won't be able to take advantage of that because they haven't got the capacity themselves or the, even the investment to build that capacity. And we need to give confidence to invest investors as, as a sector. We need to give confidence to investors to build that economy and to do so we have to show the business case we have to start doing some very good um, transition pathways for the skills that will be needed for the technologies that will be needed for the kind of businesses that can grow out of this and the size of those those businesses to allow that investment to happen now meanwhile um, the Lloyd's Register Foundation can play a role in that because we are a foundation and we are in service of society. So we're already looking at what kind of skills are we needed, where in the world those skills are we needed, um, the kind of curriculum that we will need, the kind of training that we will need, the kind of skills development we will need, where that will need to happen um, so that we can be ready um, as we, we're already starting to have this conversation with investors, but we need to be ready and to um, 
this will escalate very quickly and we need the sort of facts and figures and the evidence at our fingertips to show this. So, so as well as um, as well as the technology, we also put a, um, a, a strong part of our strategy is about the evidence and the insight that we will need to build our industry going forward. And we are going to be um, developing, you know, some, some very strong strands of thinking. We're going to be investing heavily in building out evidence insight into the future um, for the maritime system as, as, a, as a wider system. And we hope that will then bring investment or build the case for investment going forward. My thanks to both Ruth and Nick for the conversation this week. And watch out for LRF's involvement in the forthcoming COP27 work around decarbonising shipping, which I think is fair to say we shall be covering in some depth next month. For now, though, thank you for listening. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you find us. It really does help. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out on social media and spread the word to colleagues. Have a good week. We will be back with you next Friday.